0: Welcome to the VU Impact, a public service-focused podcast produced by VillanovaU.com in partnership with Villanova University's Department of Public Administration. I'm your host, Christine Adano, and today we're going to take a closer look at the U.S. Census, how the government uses it, and what public perception of it is. The 2020 Census has been discussed in depth due to questions over immigration and modernization in terms of how it's going to be filled out. But before we address that issue, let's recap a bit of history to provide some context as to how the census has evolved. The census dates all the way back to 1790, as the United States was settling into post-colonial life. The goal was to create a method of counting every person in the United States, regardless of their immigration status. But since that time, The census itself has evolved substantially in areas such as racial and ethnic identification. To help provide us with context regarding the census, we caught up with Dr. Danielle Gadson, an assistant professor in Villanova University's Master of Public Administration program. Dr. Gadson teaches public administration theory and applied data analysis, and her research specializes in medical sociology, public policy, and intergroup dialogue.
1: Take race, for example, right? In 1790, there were just three categories of racial identity. You had enslaved people, free whites, and everyone else, right? So individuals that did not fall into those three categories, individuals whom the government did not recognize, um, such as Native Americans, were not included in those initial census estimates. And now, fast forward to 2020, we move from just those three categories to more than 21 basic categories of of racial identity that individuals are able to identify. In addition to that, for the first time in 2020, the census is going to enable people to write in ethnic identities, especially for individuals that identify with non-Hispanic identities. So this is a really exciting time, right? Where we're getting the opportunity to really get a fuller understanding of how our communities exist in society
0: today. The 2020 census is a new era for the census with more ways to identify yourself and new options for how you do it.
1: For this census specifically, Individuals that identify as, for instance, non-Hispanic black or non-Hispanic white will have the opportunity to write in their, their ethnic category. So, for instance, someone that identifies as non-Hispanic black might identify themselves as Jamaican or someone that is non-Hispanic white might identify themselves as Irish. So this is a really exciting change that they've made for this year. And this will be the first time that individuals will have the opportunity to complete the census online. Traditionally, census was gathered either by mail or by telephone or having a worker come to individual homes in order to document uh, the number of people in households and their demographics. So by providing the opportunity for individuals to um, provide information online that saves uh, the government a lot of money right? in terms of workers and folks uh, that would need to come out and knock on doors in order to collect um, information. But it also gives people the flexibility um, to be able to complete the census um, from the comfort of their own homes. So the government is really hoping that this will be an opportunity for um, there to be even better response rates and that folks will feel um, a lot more comfortable. providing this information to the government.
0: As Gadson noted, this is a significant change for the census, where in previous years if you didn't respond to the forms that arrived in the mail, someone would have to come to your house and seek out the answers to the census. But as the process moves online and is less dependent on sending people out into neighborhoods, it's important that individuals understand why they need to participate in the census. It's not just that the Constitution of the United States requires the government to execute it or that it's your civic duty. Failing to respond to the census has potential financial penalties that could even result in a short jail sentence, even though rules aren't often enforced and punishments rarely administered. What many don't realize is that the census is more than just a headcount. It's an integral part of how the government allocates funds for public services and representatives on Capitol Hill, as Gadsden puts it, when it comes to the census, it's best for residents to do their part and fill it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I would say is that it's, it's important to be counted, right? Um, so if we kind of look at, um, you know, two two dueling outcomes right one of you know wanting to maintain the sense of privacy um, and folks you know not knowing about me and about my family and where I live in my community, etc right this 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 sense of you know keeping to myself and then on the other side this civic duty to to help the government better understand um, our communities. It's better to be counted right the government can't help the government doesn't know what it doesn't know. And so in order for the government to provide services such as, you know, fire stations and roads and schools and um, figuring out how many, you know, representatives, you know, a particular state should have or thinking about, um, you know, congressional districts, etc. cetera, in order for um, the, the government, the federal government to be able to make a clear assessment, right, of a community's needs, individuals within that community need to be counted and so We have a voice in this political and democratic process. Um, It's important for us to to use those voices uh, to make sure that our communities get the services that we need. This issue of undercounting is especially important um, for small and minoritized populations, right? Again, if communities, if, if governments, whether it's local, state, federal governments, don't even know, right, that a small community exists um that you know if that they don't know that a particular population has moved from this type of community to another right that there's then there's no way for the government to be responsive to those groups needs and so being counted is extremely extremely critical in in that sense
0: the census's role and influence in local political issues is significant and the influence is not always positive as the process can be manipulated to use the census as a political tool. To provide an example, GADSEN outlines how prison populations are counted and used to influence voting in the state of Pennsylvania. Typically, prisons are located in rural areas, but their populations consist of people from other areas around the state. This has become a significant issue in state politics due to those population numbers giving a disproportionate amount of power than is warranted to the areas which house these prisons.
1: One of the biggest issues uh, that we're facing here in Pennsylvania um, uh, where our university is located is this issue around prison gerrymandering. And it's around this idea that currently the way that the laws work uh, in Pennsylvania right now is that individuals that are incarcerated um, in federal prisons are counted in the county in which that, that prison is located. And so as a result, the census numbers, the population numbers, are higher for those particular um, areas, which then gives those rural, oftentimes rural areas, um, a lot more political power than they would have had those prisons not been in those areas. So there's been, over the last couple of years, a particular push uh, to try to change the rules and change the laws so that prisoners are actually counted as being a part of the community where they had their last residential address and so that would shift a lot of the populations away right from rural uh, communities and more in in the in the um, instance of pennsylvania more into urban uh, areas which also might be of lower um, income Um, in higher need. And so by doing that, you're kind of shifting that political power away from more affluent uh, uh, districts into those that are less affluent. What makes that even more interesting, though, is that the prisoners themselves are not able to vote, right? So, you know, in counting, you know, how to separate these districts and um, who's going to be where and what the power is of those districts, right, the individuals at the center of this particular issue are not even able to vote. So uh, it's a very complicated issue uh, that the Pennsylvania House of Representatives is still working through at this time, but it provides... Provides a prime example right of um, how uh, the census can be used right as as a political tool we've also seen um, the census being used as a political tool as it uh, relates to immigration um, you know and where there last year there was a lot of discussion about the use of the citizenship question that was ultimately uh, blocked by federal courts right but you know an attempt to perhaps have individuals state whether or not they are citizens, which then had further political um, implications uh, once that information was gathered for for different localities.
0: The prison question is no small matter. Presently, it would affect around 50,000 people, a significant number in terms of rural populations and the power they hold in state politics. The suggested solution has been to use a prisoner's last known residential address before being sentenced. The 2020 census is going to be interesting in how it reflects demographic trends taking place. In the second half of the 20th century, census data painted a clearer picture of white flight, showing how white families were migrating to suburban areas in response to their urban neighborhoods becoming more diverse. The 2020 edition of the census, however, may point to new trends with some of the often discussed issues of the day playing out in the data. Gadsden elaborated on a few items she's excited to see come to life through census data.
1: I think that, you know, this is going to be a very exciting time um, and it's going to be exciting to see what what we uncover from the 2020 census, because demographics are shifting so rapidly at this point in time. Two areas that come to mind most readily is the issue of gentrification, right? Where we're seeing in many urban uh, communities uh, that have been traditionally non-white, lower-income communities are now being transformed into more affluent communities uh, that are becoming majority white communities, and you're seeing the individuals that were traditionally living in those areas moving to um, either further into uh, more isolated urban spaces or moving into more suburbanized spaces. So comparing the 2000 census to the 2010 census to the 2020 census will be very fascinating to see where folks are moving, right, in terms of areas that are now becoming gentrified, kind of the, the hot new areas, right, where the urban rich choose to live and how and where those individuals that used to live in those, those um, communities, where they are shifting, where they are moving next. The other particularly interesting um, demographic will be that of the elderly, right? And so, you know, we certainly spend a lot of time talking about uh, baby boomers and individuals that are retiring and beyond. And again, as cities um, and urban areas become a lot more expensive, where are we seeing these demographics moving, right? Are folks retiring? Are, Are folks moving to more rural areas? Are folks moving to more suburban areas? And so again, the census it's, it, it provides us with this opportunity to literally see this migration, right, to see how these, these, these groups and demographics change over time, especially for these particularly mobile population groups.
0: Another issue at the center of the census is funding for public services. This means affordable housing, transportation, and other essential services that are available to the general public
1: the federal government spends nearly $680 million on um, public service efforts uh, that are somehow associated with census numbers. And so in order for those funds to be allocated, the federal government needs to have an understanding of what the community needs are, right? So when we think about housing, if it's an area where there's a particular housing boom, right, we, we, you know, see, rates of 20 30 percent increases in population we know that we're going to need more infrastructure in that particular area we may need more schools we may need more attention paid to roads to public services utilities etc um, on the other hand if we're seeing that people are moving away from particular areas and thinking about um, you know whether we can shift some of those resources right to to follow where people have migrated out of a particular area and into uh, a new area. Again, as I as I've mentioned uh, earlier, the government doesn't know what it doesn't know, right? And so the census provides us with this opportunity, right, to have real data, real numbers that we can look at and make determinations, data based determinations about where funds should be allocated and why. Instead of just kind of depending on, you know, what a hunch might be that maybe this community needs that or maybe depending on, you know, what we're what we're hearing, um, you know, just through informal sources. By having the actual data, we're able to make real decisions, concrete decisions that are tied to the needs of our populations.
0: Of particular interest to Gadsden as a researcher is the area of public health. After this recording, COVID-19 was categorized as a pandemic and is raising real questions about public health and the resources that are available to different populations. As Kadson puts it, too many communities, especially the medically underserved, simply don't have access to the care they need. The only way to address this issue is to better understand population demographics and movements. How so? How can this be connected back to the medically underserved population?
1: public health, just like any other public service, um, is very much dependent on understanding the needs of communities. Many communities, especially in urban areas and minoritized um, communities, are, are what we call medically underserved, where it's, it's an actual calculation that is made by the federal government that looks at the number of people that live in a particular locality and jurisdiction and compare that to the number of health resources whether it be hospitals, uh, whether uh, it be um, primary care physicians, emergency rooms, et cetera, and look at that ratio, right, of individuals um, to the number of of healthcare um, centers that are available to the the individual. And so this is a really critical number um, that we use um, in public health in order to have a sense of an individual's and a community's accessibility to to healthcare and so an important um, part of that calculation is understanding populations and as we've uh, talked about before, as populations shift, right, as um, individuals who have traditionally been in particular communities move to new communities, one uh, concept that, that we talk about um, a lot in sociology and, and public policy is this idea of the new suburban poor, right, where individuals that um, are of lower income that we tend to think of, of living in urban areas because of gentrification now move to the suburbs right which is a little bit further away from work but perhaps a, a little bit cheaper to live there uh, because the costs in cities have risen so high now we have a suburban poor this relates to healthcare. Right, because now this same population that had healthcare needs when they lived in an urban area that likely had a much higher ratio of doctor's medical centers, hospitals, et cetera, now are moving to a more suburban area, perhaps a rural area, a more remote area where it's required to have, for instance, a car in order to access medical care. The census allows us to see those shifts right, and to be able to preempt any issues that might come up as a result of those types of population shifts in, in which people are moving, but, but the infrastructure has not, yet changed and has not yet moved.
0: The public health question cuts to the core of what it means to be a public administrator to Gadsden. Understanding the population and allocating resources in ways that make sense and serve the populations that need public services the most is essential to a healthy functioning society, particularly when it comes to providing access to health care.
1: Part of what our job is as public administrators is to think about how we are implementing uh, particular public services and public efforts. And so if we see through the census, through surveys, through data collection, that this population is, if we're seeing this population shift again, using this example of the suburban poor, right, if we're seeing this shift away from usage of medical centers free medical centers, community health centers in urban areas, and then seeing that individuals are either forgoing medical care, unable to make it to medical care because of now they, they're experiencing these transportation issues. We can use that information to make better determinations about what new infrastructure we need to put in place in in the new areas. And so we don't want to come to a situation where we are reacting to the fact that, you know, people are here now we don't have the services in order to serve them, and now we have to scramble to, you know, provide those services, right? As public administrators, what we want to do is to be able to, to see the trends as they are happening, um, to see the trends before they happen, and be able to, to ready ourselves in our communities, in our localities, to provide whether it be transportation help that we know these communities are moving, so so let's put something in place where we could get some transportation uh, in place so that people can get around to where they need to be. Maybe we need to have more school-based healthcare care uh, systems where uh, we can treat children with minor concerns at a school or at emergency room-like places. So, you know, thinking about uh, what are some innovations that we can put in place as public administrators to not just react but to think through what's happening in our communities and actually make plans ahead of time to ensure that we're minimizing the amount of harm.
0: In order for the census to be executed effectively and have the desired impact, a collaborative effort needs to take place between all levels of government and the people of the United States. The result of this effort is data that fuels the responsible development of our societal infrastructure.
1: This is certainly um, a concerted effort in that, you know, the the census is uh, a federal effort, but the state and local governments work in full cooperation with the federal government to help get this done. So on a state level, you'll certainly see from uh, a marketing uh, perspective in terms of the state making sure that all of the um, constituents know that the census is coming, what to expect, you know, being able to um, do, have town hall meetings. Uh, well, that would be more on, on a local level, having town hall meetings, providing educational materials. So again, the, the federal government is kind of overseeing the entire process, but, but a lot of this is happening on a local level. And so, you know, individuals that are working for the census are, you know, oftentimes individuals that live in particular communities, advocacy groups, coming together from particular communities. Again, on the state level, uh, the state is providing some coordination as well to help, especially uh, when it comes to individuals that might be institutionalized, right? So this is really an all hands on deck effort. And so uh, on the front end, you know, everyone is, is cooperating to help to get this done. On the back end, Everyone is also able to use the information, right, from the census. So, um, again, not just local, state governments, nonprofit entities, for profit entities. It's better for everyone to be able to have a better sense of our community who's in our community in order to determine how our community has changed and what needs might need to be adjusted or what we might need to put in place right to meet new needs of, of community uh, members in our locality so the the because of the constitution it it, it is officially a federal effort but in reality Right, and especially for, for public administrators, it's an effort that is made at every level of government, including nonprofits uh, and the for-profit uh, sector.
0: Thank you for listening to the VU Impact. We hope you'll join us next time when we take another look at the public service topics and the people who embody the values, roles, skills, and practices that make a positive impact on society. Until then, I'm your host, Christina Dono, and this has been the VU Impact. Help us make a greater impact. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the VU Impact podcast. For more information on the podcast and Villanova's MPA program, visit villanovau.com impact.